is Matthew chapter 10, beginning to read at verse 24 and continuing until verse 39. And you can find that if you want to follow it in your pew Bibles on page 985. Students are not above their teachers, nor servants above their masters. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and the servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household? So do not be afraid. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There are not two sparrows sold for a penny, sorry, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth far more than many sparrows. Those who acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But those who disown me before others, I will disown before my Father. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be the members of your own household. Anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Those who do not take up their cross and follow me are not worthy of me. Those who find their lives will lose them, and those who lose their lives for my sake will find them. Good morning, everyone. Good. Am I echoey? Okay. Um, If you turn me down a bit, I'll speak up a bit. Is that going to work? sound a bit like Buddy Holly. (laughs) Only a bit. Okay, Um, so uh, let's pray, shall we? Lord, uh, thank you very much indeed uh, for your word. And Lord, as we reflect on some of the harder teachings of your word, we pray that you would um, open our ears and open our hearts and open our minds, Lord, that you would illuminate your truth to us. And Lord, we might be obedient to that truth, not because we're lapdogs, but because we want to live the life that you have for us. And we pray this in Christ's name, and the people join together and said, Amen. Good. Um, Let me introduce you to L. Ron Musk. Um, L. Ron Musk, for those of you who don't know who he is, a very clever chap. not just kind of clever, clever, geek clever, but clever in that he can turn his geeky ideas into business ideas. 
He was the guy that invented uh, PayPal, uh, which is a huge commercial uh, success. And more recently, he invented one of these cars that everybody wants to have, the Tesla, which is an electric car, which is faster than a Porsche. And right now, he's opened some laboratories in um, uh, the desert in Arizona, and those uh, laboratories have only one thing in mind, and that is what they want to do is to develop even better batteries that will have a, an even longer battery life. I mean, those of you who used to watch Top Gear will know that electric cars were not really top of Jeremy Clarkson's list as a good idea of how to get from A to B. A Tesla can travel 230 miles on one battery load. My son just drove from uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas in a Tesla. I think they only had to stop once for sustenance and electricity uh, on the way. However, Elon Musk's really big idea is that he wants to colonize Mars. Right? Hear a few chuckles uh, amongst you. I don't know how much you know about Mars, but Mars is um, it's difficult to tell you exactly how long it takes to get there because the movement of the planets means that the distance varies from time to time, but the average length of a journey to Mars would be a mere 20 weeks, um, which is quite a long time to be on a spaceship, especially when at the moment we only have the capacity on that spaceship to take you one way. So if you don't like Mars, don't go. Because <laughs> once you get there, you're stuck there for good. Why am I telling you all this? Give me a second, I'll remember. But um, <laughs> I want to tell you this because the world spews up these people occasionally who have very big ideas. And to many of us, they sound so grandiose and so weird and so unlikely ever to happen that we can kind of dismiss them to kind of page 15 of our newspapers in the sure knowledge that they're pretty unlikely to happen. Yeah, religious ideas, you'll know that David Icke turned a bit funny after he was a sports commentator for the BBC and had this very weird idea that actually he was God. It doesn't have many followers, apparently, but um, some of these big ideas are just relegatable to the kind of back burner. On the other hand, it was true, wasn't it, that when whoever it was whose name, was it the Wright Brothers, you know, the first person to fly an aeroplane for any distance, I mean, it's hard to believe, especially for kind of not very scientific people for me, like me, that you can put tens of tons of metal in the air for hours on end, i.e. an aeroplane, and you can put a lot of people on it and a lot of freight on it, and it will still stay up in the air. Now, I'm sure there are people from Airbus here who can't wait to tell me how that works at the end of the service. Look, can I just tell you, I'm not that interested. <laughs> uh, I just, you know, it's a question of faith for me getting on an aeroplane. I'd rather leave it like that if you don't mind. So, um, these big ideas, and, and one of the things in our churches, I think, we can easily forget, is that God has a big idea. And his big idea is what uh, 
most of the gospel writers refer to as the kingdom of God, and some refer to as the kingdom of heaven. It's the same reality, it's just that Matthew referred to kingdom of heaven because his gospel was written to Jewish people, and Jewish people didn't like on the whole to mention uh, the name of God. This is a much bigger idea than church. I mean, I don't want to offend you, but it, it really is. It, it's, it's the place where the sovereign rule of God will reign on earth. And one day, says the Bible, it will be a reality. We're a long way from that right now. Someone say yes. Hmm? We're a long way from that just now. And the amazing thing about this kingdom is that it's a huge idea... It grows a life at a time. It grows when somebody decides that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life and is determined to do something about it and play their part in the kingdom. My old dad, um, 72 years of his life, hated religion, loathed Christians, and in particular didn't like charismatic Christians. My mother was converted, became quite a kind of prominent, charismatic Christian uh, when she was 53. Uh, you can imagine what kind of problems that caused. And they were exacerbated when I became a Christian uh, just a few years later. My father <clears throat> uh, never had anything to do with the church, although occasionally he would trot along uh, with my mother just to keep peace for the next week to our local church. And he would come back and absolutely rip the mickey out of it and say terrible things about the vicar and, you know, some of you have heard it. So, um, the local, in our town, there was something called the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International, which my mother had taken him to a dinner at once, and he had lasted about two minutes before he walked out. Very charismatic, very kind of prosperity-based. So, you know, one of the things, I went to one of their meetings once, this guy says stuff like, uh, my business had gone belly up, my wife hated me, uh, the kids didn't like me, even the dog looked at me funny. <laughs> and then I gave my life to Christ, now I'm a multi-millionaire, my wife loves me, wonder why. Um, <laughs> Uh, the kids are back online, it's all going great, you know, and yeah, thanks to God. Well, you think to yourself, you know, when somebody offers that, you'd be thinking, why don't he get killed in the rush at the end of it, you know? So my dad didn't like it, he went there, and, and, um, uh, and then they discovered that the treasurer of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International had got a bit of dementia and had not produced any accounts for the Charity Commission over a season. And so they um, asked my dad, would he fix, my father's very good with figures, big business guy and all that, very good with figures. So they said to him, will you fix, fix the books for us? When I say fix, I mean not fix. <laughs> would you prepare a set of accounts for us? So, so he prepared a set of accounts not realizing, of course, that he'd have to go to their AGM to present them. So he pulls up at 7.30 in the morning in the sort of um, windowless back room of some hotel in Cheshire. And the committee are all sitting there, and they, he's walked in on their prayer meeting. He's like, oh, you know, good luck with that, you know, talking to your imaginary friend kind of thing. 
And in comes the guest speaker and says, uh, Brothers, I have no idea why God has said this to me. I've got to lay hands on all of you today. So he goes to the first member of the committee, puts his hand on his head. This guy just collapses on the floor. Goes to the next guy, exactly the same thing happens. Goes to the next guy, my dad's end of the line. <laughs> and his last word, listen, this is really true, right? It's not me, you know. His last words as an unbeliever were literally, you won't get me, you bastard. <laughs> and when he woke up, <laughs> he knew that Jesus Christ was Lord and he spent the last 12 years of his life teaching the Bible to some of the big hitters of UK commerce. The kingdom grows a life at a time. I don't know anybody, actually I do know some people, but let's not bother about them for a minute. I don't know anybody who doesn't have some aspiration somewhere deep down inside them, however much it's got buried, however much it, it, it's kind of got damaged. I don't know many people who deep down don't have an aspiration to want to make a difference. And when you read that stuff in our reading this morning, you think to yourself, oh my goodness, you know, why didn't Jesus employ a PR person? What's all this stuff about, you know, if you're going to follow me, fathers and sons are going to fall out, mothers and sons are going to fall out, even, even daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws are going to fall out, right? You know, who would think that ever? And of course, within rabbinic teaching, what you need to know is, this is what they call hyperbole. It is hugely exaggerating a point for the sake of trying to make a point that is important. And the point that Jesus is trying to make here is, if you're going to march in my army, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you have got to be committed. You know, is there anywhere in this book, somebody tell me if there is, because I haven't found it yet, is there anywhere in this book where it says, here's a great idea, half commit yourself to Jesus and see what happens. It doesn't say that, does it? It's like, pick up your cross, you idiot. Because that's what it's going to take to make a difference. Yesterday, in Glastonbury, I love Glastonbury. I love it. But yesterday, apart from the fact that Foo Fighters didn't have to deliver it, yesterday, Jeremy Corbyn stood up. And you know, you have different views about Jeremy Corbyn, right? Don't shout them out. Right? The one thing that you have to say about Jeremy Corbyn is you can not believe his message, but what he's got is he's got a philosophy that he applies to policy, and even though it will sound mad to some of you, what he imagines is a different kind of world. He's been interviewed on BBC Radio, and he gets to the point where he's talking about, you know, we'll tax the rich, rich off the face of the earth, and We'll charge companies, you know, 50% more uh, corporation tax, etc., etc., to raise funds for, you know, free everything. Uh, free sweets on a Thursday, apparently. <laughs> Do you, right. It, you know, what you've got to admire is it's a different society he sees. And when this interviewer was interviewing him, he said, in this rather sneery way, the interviewer said, 
So you want to make us poorer in order to make us kinder. Jeremy Corbyn said, well, is there anything wrong with kindness? So the guy said again, let me get this right. The Labour Party campaigners, we're going to make you poorer, but we're going to make you kinder. Now, let me say, I'm not making any political points whatsoever here. What I am saying is, here is another big idea coming into our society. That through political means, and that's where I would fall apart, because I don't think that politicians really get human beings very well. But I think what you've got to say is, our society might be better off if it was a little more kinder. And maybe, in some cases, a little less wealthy. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty well appalled by what some people get for doing a lousy job. Seems mad to me. How can you get a seven-figure salary for screwing up? Somebody tell me. Anybody in here, I'll give you my address and retirement fund address as well. Look. This is what Jesus is talking about here. And, and one of the messages you need to get, if you're going to make your difference in this kingdom, is a message that is oft repeated in the Bible. It's not like, you know, occasionally it's thrown in so that the people who study the Bible could come to the conclusion it was added later. It was throughout the Bible. It's a message that could be incredibly releasing for many of you in this church today. If only, only you could believe it. And if you could believe that God can set you free from it, you would be a totally different person, right? What does it say? Most common phrase in Scripture, do not be afraid. Now, first problem is, It's kind of hard to make people who are frightened not frightened just by telling them not to be frightened. You get that, don't you? Um, but I think it works like this. I think that if you, using the old-fashioned language that we use, if you fear God, there is every chance you can rise above your fear here on earth. Let me say that to you again. If you fear God in the old-fashioned sense of that word, that is, you place him, you have awe for him, you put him number one in your life, then you can rise above any fear that you have. I'll tell you how in a little bit. You still with me? Someone say yes, thank please God. So um, here's, here's Jesus talking to his disciples He's envisaging a time, he's not like saying, if you ever get yourself in hot water as a Christian, you know, here's a few tips. What he's saying is, he's making an assumption that if you're a Christ follower, you will end up in some kind of hot water at some time. Maybe at work, maybe, uh, you know, with your friends, maybe even in your family. You know, I've just told you, my family was, you know, it would have been disordered if we didn't have the complication of my dad, but it was disordered. And, and, you know what, I mean, lots of us come from disordered families, don't we? Don't put your hands up. We come from disordered families. You can either spend the rest of your life being a victim of that, or you can rise above it. 
and stop playing a victim and start taking some responsibility. See what happens. So we've got Jesus here and what he's doing is he's talking about the time when people are going to find in a mess. What's the first thing he says of this? He says, look, don't be afraid. This is natural because my big idea flies in the face of the world's big idea. You know, you say to a lot of politicians at the moment, what's your big idea? What they'll tell you is increasing prosperity. Now, that's, you know, I can understand why they would say that. They would say that because poverty is terrible. Poverty brings terrible outcomes, but also too much wealth isn't that good for you. I got a friend who did a PhD thesis who's reading psychology in the University of Durham. Imagine that. His thesis was tracking people who'd won over £10 million on either the state lottery, you know, the, what do they call it here, the national lottery, or... Um, uh, it, it's a terrible chapter in people's lives. You're sitting there saying, you know what, I'd like to win the lottery just so I could prove Mike right. <laughs> Extreme wealth is not good for you. And the Bible says, what? What's the root of all evil? Somebody shout it out. Love of money. I wonder if there's anybody sitting in the house who's in love with money. Because that could create a root in your life that could, it could really be ugly. Right? You're not going to be afraid of people when they call you to account for speaking up for your faith. Neither do you need to be afraid if there's physical violence threatened. Look, you know, I was saying to the people at the early service, you know, uh, over in the, where is it? Where? In Quakers Road, yeah. You know, the kind of insomnia shift. (laughs) Yeah, I'm over there, and and, um, one of the things I said is, you know, look, we all have trivial fears, don't we? You know, that's kind of weird. You know, spiders uh, don't like getting on a plane or, I don't know, you know, uh, Louis Smedes put it like this. He said, some people are frightened of the dark. Some people are frightened of lobsters. Some people are frightened of falling. And some people, neurotic people, are frightened of falling in the dark and landing on top of a lobster. That's not my point. My point is this. This is a serious point, right? Get ready. Get ready for this. It's just going to call you out. Some of us are living lives that are wrecked by very serious fears that stop us living the life that Jesus has for us. Let me say that again. Some of us are living lives so gripped by a fear that we are living a life less than that which Jesus wants for us. I remember a woman that I led to Christ in her home back in my curacy days when I did some good stuff in those days. Just led her to Christ and... and we're in our house and, and I said, so, you know, you really need to get to church sometime soon. She's like, well, I can't. 
So I said, you know why? So she said, um, I can't. I said, what is it, the people? You know, I'm like, I get that. Yeah. Uh, she said, no, I can't leave the house. I'm terrified. I don't know what to say to her. You know, I didn't like to say, should I put you on a leash and we'll go for a walk? Or, you know, I just didn't know what to say to her. So I did what I normally do when I can't think of something to say. So I'm like, let's pray. We prayed together. I said, how are you feeling? She said, terrified. You know, I didn't like to say, well, should we pray again, see if we can get the stick this time, you know? But then... I recalled a fear that God had released me from. See, I, I, it was never my intention to get ordained. So I went to my selection conference hoping that I would get turned down. It was going really well. Uh, one of the selectors actually called me a heretic. I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is working out well for me, you know. And I can go home and have a life and, and, and anyway, I got through that. I'm in college, and um, so one morning, I don't know what it was. I don't think I was very well or something, so I got up to read the lesson, and I came over all faint. And, you know, honestly, this is terrible, right? You know, judge me for this, but my idea then was real men don't faint. Actually, I didn't faint. I did stop myself, just so you know I'm a real man. But, um, you know, I was so angry with myself. And even worse, my confidence was sapped. So I was starting to tell lies to the staff at college as to why I couldn't be in chapel the day I was on the rotor to read the lesson. And um, you guess, you know, it's not a great kind of fear to have if you're about to be ordained. You know, somebody's going to expect you to stand up and say something sometime, aren't they? So God put in front of me a book by a woman called Elizabeth Marshall. And in this book, there was a chapter I've never forgotten. It was called The Prayer of Relinquishment. What she said is, when you think about your fear, think about the very worst thing that could happen. Now, for me, it shows you what a kind of lightweight character I am, really, because my greatest fear was showing myself not to be manly in front of a lot of, you know, approximate men in the theological college. So I, she, then she said, once you, and so my fear was, you know, I don't want to faint in front of them or throw up or anything like that. None of us wants to, you know, I mean, that would be a fear that would be pretty general for us, wouldn't it? You know, how many of you would like to throw up in public, you know? But it was gripping me. So she said, think about what it is. So I'm like, Lord, it's just pride on my part, and I'm really sorry. You know, this is pathetic, I get it, but it's part of who I am. And, and then she said, just relinquish it. And say to God, if this is what you want, I would gladly faint. I would gladly throw up. I would gladly humiliate myself in any way that you see fit. Just say it. It was like being healed 
overnight. And as you can see, I mean, I'm not gripped by nerves at the moment. I'm gripped by a passion that you would leave this church today a little more inspired to go out there and play your part in God's bigger picture, His kingdom. His kingdom is about the whole wide world. What's that thing we sing with the kids? You know, He's got the whole wide world in His hands. Even when it doesn't feel like it, He's got the whole wide world in His hands. Right now, I see a lot of fear in our culture. I see a lot of fear. You know, if somebody else tells me they're never ever going to travel on a tube train again, I understand why. But I don't want to live my life like that, worrying, worrying, worrying. I want to live the life that God has prepared for me. And this God is so amazing, friends, that He made the heavens and the earth and all that therein is, and He made Mars, and He made Enceladus and all the planets and all, everything is in His hands. But that God knows you intimately. In fact, says that, doesn't it, you know? I mean, it's not much of a challenge in God's book from, in relation to me, but He says, even the hairs on your head are counted. <laughs> right? You know what that means? It means God knows you intimately. He knows you better than you know yourself. If I said to any of you, how many, you know, I could probably answer this, but if I said to most of you, you know, if I said to normal people, how many hairs have you got on your head? You wouldn't know, would you? The Bible says God knows you that intimately. But it also says something very, very significant. It says that God wants you to have fullness of life. That's a different thing than a full life. You know, our world's dying of activism and busyness these days, but fullness of life. And when you start to experience fullness of life, you're starting to dwell in the kingdom. And when you dwell in the kingdom, other people might want to know why. And Jesus says here, by the way, When you get the opportunity to speak for me, here's my advice, do it. In fact, what he says is, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. The church, you are not the kingdom. But what you're meant to be, according to God's word, is a sign of the kingdom. And you're never going to be a sign of the kingdom if your life is so paralyzed by some fear that you cannot talk to anybody about or a fear that messes up your relationships or messes up your home and messes up your life. Friends, there's a great message today. You don't have to occupy that space any longer. You can pray a prayer of relinquishment and as long as it comes from the heart, sorry, that was my microphone, not my heart, As long as it comes from your heart, who knows what might happen? Who knows what God could free you from today? Who knows what contribution you could make to God's big idea, a bigger and better world where all human beings will flourish?
You know, I'm aware that this church has sought to be a sign, and not just sought to be a sign in Downend, but actually it's interesting, looking around this morning at the early breakfast deal, I thought to myself, what's significant is, not all the people, by any manner is, but some of the people here, I've met them before. Where have I met them? In Uganda. We're signing off today on the, you know, the end of next week. Some of them are off to India with some young people. See, another good way to rise above your fear is to go put yourself outside your comfort zone and see what happens. Our natural bent is to live within our comfort zone, isn't it? But friends, your faith muscle is like every other muscle you have. And the older you get, the more this is true, right? I have discovered, you know, there was a time when I was fit. Had to be fit to do a sport I was involved with, right? I don't have to lie in bed very long now for my body to atrophy. In fact, you could say all night does it. You know, I get, getting up in the morning now, I'm a bit stiff, you know, I have to do a few stretches just to get me to the bathroom. But your faith muscles like that. If you don't exercise it, it's just going to become flabby and atrophy. And when you hear Jesus saying stuff like, I've come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness, you're going to be thinking, good luck with that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who can harm the body. Don't even be afraid of those who can harm your soul. Don't be afraid because this God knows you intimately. Let me close by saying this to you. Your faith is not an insurance policy. Right? doesn't mean that the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, bad things will never happen. It doesn't mean that when you give your life to Christ, some of those age-old habits will disappear overnight. Those old patterns of behavior. I figure one of the things the Holy Spirit finds most difficult to deal with in most of us is what psychologists call learnt behavior. It might be a filthy temper, just to give an example. You know, and you know why people lose their temper? It's because in the end, they gain from it. People fall in with what they want. Some folks call that bullying. You want to be a filthy-tempered Christian? You're going to struggle, my friend. And you need help with that. So look. Let's keep our eyes on that bigger picture called God's kingdom. Let's today make a new resolve that we will do all we can for the rest of our time here on planet Earth to make a difference to this world to make it a bigger and better place for all human flourishing. Let's not forget that the kingdom of God starts a life at a time. And what Jesus is saying here is it takes commitment. Commitment to our teacher and our Messiah and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
but also commitment to the big idea. Some of you say, I'm too old. Listen to me. Sarah had a baby when she was 90 years old. Right? Some of you look a bit worried now. Hmm? Abraham left the security of a wonderful lifestyle to go and do stuff in order that the purpose of God might be revealed. So don't tell me you're too old. Don't tell me you're too old to change. Because if you tell me you're too old to change, I'll tell you, you are, I agree. Certainly some of you. You're never too old to be changed. Think about my old dad. 72 years old, lifelong hatred of Christians. Listen, we've got to get with the program, don't we? It's the kingdom, and we're the church, and we're going to make a difference, and we're going to do all we can to bring about this world that's a bigger and better place for all human beings to flourish in, and it starts with a fresh resolution today. Great to see babies asleep, isn't it? You should invite me around more often. Don't be afraid. Remember God's love for you, His intimate knowledge of you. And He wants for you to become the person that you could become. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now you would come in your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you would help us to face the fears that truly dog our lives. Those fears that stop us ever becoming the person that you would have us be. And Lord, we pray maybe now, maybe after the service, maybe sometime soon. You would give us the courage to kneel down with you, maybe with some other Christians, and to seek your healing. Because, Lord, we want to be free. And we want to live that life, not because we're selfish, but, Lord, because we want to play our part in building your kingdom here on earth. So come, Holy Spirit, where we're afraid. Help us to rise above our fears and become that person that you want us to be. And Lord, we pray this not because we have any merit, but because your word tells us that you sit at God's right hand, God the Father's right hand, uh, to live, to make intercession for us. Lord, we bring our prayers in Jesus' name. And the people who agree said together. <laughs>